Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin-Lu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Zhang, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing The Circle on Netflix and Warrior on HBO Max. Two shows, I guess, that deal with perception in their own unique way. What a reach of a connection. I don't know, I'm trying. Good morning, Jenny. How are you doing this week? I am uh, sleepy and sneezing. This is a result of our, not that anyone should care outside of us two people, but uh, we switch our recording times from Saturday night to Sunday morning in anticipation of, I don't know, life getting back, like with a lot of noise on evenings, uh, thanks to (laughs) the vaccine. Yeah, I live on a really busy block and Saturday nights are prime time for uh, loud music being played out of cars, which is not good for audio quality, turns out. Uh, We also don't have the money to license any of the music that we hear. So here we are, Sunday morning, bright and early. It's been a struggle for the both of us. I've been pretty busy with work this week, but I went out into Manhattan yesterday. I ate out and walked around and it was busy and it just feels really weird for a sense of normalcy. I've got to say, being vaccinated is a trip, man. (laughs) Like (laughs) you walk, you walk around much calmer than you were before. Like I'm not as anxiety driven about me getting sick, but I feel like, and I, like I obviously still have my mask on, but whenever I see other people without their mask, I feel really bad like I feel bad for them like I'm just like oh you should probably have your mask on like really really badly whereas before it was more like I'm gonna get sick forward (laughs) you know and like everybody's gonna get sick but it's uh it's just weird it's weird going back to that I have not missed the subway ride back home after being out in Manhattan uh that still sucks would you believe (laughs) um and getting it getting home is is definitely a relief after that but yeah it's been it's been nice to go out and do things and normalcy what does that even mean anymore you know Mm -hmm. speaking of normalcy or i guess lack thereof what have you been watching this week jenny (laughs) uh so this week i watched the circle the u.s version to be clear their second season just came out And so I'm going to be talking about week one, which is episodes one to four that are available right now on Netflix. The first season of this aired in January 2020 before we even knew what was going to happen to us. Uh, That feels like I was thinking on this. I was like, oh, the first season came out in like 2018, 2019, right? It's like, nope, just just last year. <laughs> God, it's it's nuts how much reality or competition TV shows like this just churn them out like it's nothing. Like they just yeah. film it. There's maybe like two week editing time in post, and then it's just out there. Yeah. yeah. So I don't even know if they they filmed this current season maybe during the pandemic. I I mean I assume they did, but in case you don't know how it works. I'll give a brief explainer. So contestants are isolated more or less in these apartments in this like kind of generic building. They use a social media app or something that looks like it called the circle to communicate with each other, sending like messages, playing games, whatever. The goal is to basically gain popularity, um, whether that's through like being nice to everyone, pretending to be someone else or like catfishing. Or like forming strategic alliances and, you know, basically playing the game to win the prize of $100,000. And they routinely rank each other to determine who are the two influencers of the moment. And then those top players then agree to block or eliminate one of the other players. 
that's it in a nutshell. It is kind of like, uh, I wouldn't know because I haven't watched Big Brother, but I've read the comparisons to, to Big Brother. Yes. Although there's like the, the sort of catfishing social media element in this or fake social media element. The similarities of, of the circle in Big Brother have got everything to do with the quality of the, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say set because they're actually living in it, but, um, like the, the apartments, that they're in and also just like the camera quality that they're using it's just they've just taken it down a notch and it really gives me that big brother feel of just like grainy surveillance camera but yeah what did you what uh, have you finished the first four episodes yeah so i zoomed through them pretty quickly this weekend um but yeah it's interesting to see the differences between the first season and this one i did watch the first season and that one it was like kind of goofy kind of pure like the contestants were mostly nice people except for a few exceptions they were not really like that strategic or like cutthroat and they sometimes like bizarrely they mostly seem to judge each other based mostly on like who seemed the nicest and the most authentic as opposed to like who should i like eliminate or vote for to better enable my victory or whatever so it was kind of an oddball i think um, season two is already much different. And I think taking a turn more towards the UK version, like, um, and also like things like Big Brother, it's like much more dramatic. People are taking a more ruthless approach. You know, they are saying, I'm here to win, you know, whatever it takes to win. They're like forming and breaking these alliances so quickly. And they also have, there's a little bit more of like a blatantly fame seeking or fame adjacent sort of vibe to the contestants. Like, they have, not to like spoil anything, I'm not going to say anything more about this, but they have like Lance Bass as a contestant. Oh my god, what of. is it, dude? What is it with <laughs> Lance Bass? Um, Lance Bass has got to be weirdest cameo appearance in like other reality TV shows. He just like shows up randomly well, in, in, in other <laughs> stuff. And it's like, what are you doing? Well, you will see in this, I say Lance Bass with a little bit of an asterisk next to the that but oh it's um, not him if you have not gotten this far i'm not going to say more about this but okay then if, we, then if it's not okay if it's not actually him him i take it back only a little bit okay because <laughs> like, um, he really does be he does be <laughs> popping up in other stuff yeah anyway. and then yeah. there's um a contestant who was also on another netflix reality tv show and then there are people who say they're like teachers or say they're like data researchers but are actually more like influencers or like entertainment like aspiring entertainers or whatever so it's very much like people are here pretty much for a reason overall Mm -hmm. across the board some people prefer seem to prefer season one to this like i read an av club article that was like oh like season one was so pure like i loved it because it was different from america other american reality tv shows Hmm. um but i'm actually gonna say season two is a lot more interesting right off the bat um it is like much more like what you would expect from a you know reality competition show but it's it's so much more dynamic they tweaked some things that make are making it work a lot better i think for like entertainment value by far this is just like yeah paces above the first season for similar um you know timestamps. So I have been watching Survivor for the first time, and the thing that struck me immediately with the with the first season of Survivor that I watched, uh, which was a later stage, and 
what was fascinating was how much respect there is on the strategy of the game. And that is also one thing where like people have to pretend to be something that they're not in in some sense oh. of the word. But I don't know. It's really interesting. Like you have to be honest and someone that is respected, but you also have to be very careful to not be too strategic because then people will take you out. It's just like this yeah, weird it's a nuts very gameplay. Similar kind of like striving to hit that sort of balance exactly uh, and all and it, based on like perception yeah exactly and it, what what's cool about that is that they've completely leaned into that like now it's getting to it's gotten to the point where like if you don't play the game you should not be there period like mm. all the other contestants will just be like i don't know what the fuck you're doing here if you're not going to play the game uh the, like they don't respect honesty or like any of that shit at <laughs> all so it's interesting that um with the circle season two they've kind of taken a leaf out of that book and i'm trying to apply it because you know my favorite thing with any like reality competition show is the person that's like i'm not here to make friends you know oh Um, yeah it's just that that cutthroatness that like hobbesian state of being is just really (laughs) it's funny to watch (laughs) the thing that kind of kills me is that they're all trying for it's just a hundred grand which listen if i had if i had 10 grand tomorrow i'd be like losing it but um it just shows you not even how cheap but just you know they're not really doing much they're kind of sitting on the couches and beds telling a computer to write things for them so it's not like survivor where it's a million dollars but um but it's still funny to for them to just be like yeah like i'm doing it for this i the thing that interested me is you know the way that fame has translated before where you know people would go on reality competition shows be a personality and then get fame off of that and the value of that fame was actually pretty cheap depending on how respected or how loved they are by the audience that has completely transformed now especially in the internet area and the circle is like very internet forward like it's for the people that want to be influencers and then just kind of like get even bigger in terms of the name um you can do so much more with that currency now that you have more control over your narrative through social media. So it's interesting to see that dynamic change for reality competition shows. Yeah, I mean, basically, I guess you could argue, and it's probably true that, you know, the exposure you get on this platform, the potential new followers you get from this is worth more or less the same or more than the $100,000 prize. So that's also like a thing where, you know, I've noticed from the first season, if you come on the show as like authentically yourself, people like you, people watching you like you, you might get booted off quickly because you can't really like play the game that well. But you know, that probably pays out dividends for you versus the people who come on blatantly catfishing, you know, they're not presenting themselves who they are, you know, they may be like actually better at this game itself. But in real life, like just checking the Instagram followers of the, you know, previous contestants and current contestants, like you can, there's kind of a big difference. Like if you're not the typical hot, friendly, um, either like drama queen or like messy bitch or like really super nice, but like still hot, like angel, um, there's, it, there's really like a disparity in like followers. Um, so some people clearly are on here to try to, you know, get the prize. Others are like really thinking of it more in the long term, which is smart. Um, yeah, totally. Even if you're not paid in like uh, show dollars, like the the prize money, you are gonna get 
uh, sponsorship money through Instagram or whatever it might like. Just that the formats of payment are completely different now. Yeah, like, you don't need coverage in like TMZ to necessarily get to where you want to go, like in the level up of the influencer world, basically. Yeah, but it is interesting, kind of how quickly I think Circle season one kind of faded from like collective cultural memory. Part of that, I assume, of course maybe has to do with the pandemic like everything was just sort of like obliterated in the wake of that yeah um, the good old blip <laughs> yeah but yeah. yeah like as for me personally like the show was like so addictive you know when i watched it i just like had to keep going binging for real it felt like really thrilling um but it was like pure junk and as soon as it ended i basically forgot everything about it within days or weeks like i've never seen anything about the winners pop up in just like i don't know mainstream regular pop culture sort of things maybe they're in like some of the gossip rags or something or some of the more like digital forward kind of places but really it was just like zero impact at all on like larger culture um and now it's back and maybe it is gonna have more of an impact this time i don't know i'd be curious to see since now we're in a totally different time period yeah but maybe that's just like how this kind of show is designed you know it's like it's like candy or trash or like junk food it's people know it's not of substance that not that Mm -hmm. that that really matters but it's entertaining and maybe if it makes a world of difference to the people who are actually competing in it that's all you can really ask for but i'd be interesting to see like what is a lasting impact from this season so which contestant is your favorite so far Oof. Um, oh, and how far along are you? Like, how many episodes have you watched? I'm on episode... I just finished episode two. Okay, okay. It's it's a little bit of a struggle for me to get through it, I've got to say. It's not my favorite format. Mm. Um, I do enjoy it, but I don't know what headspace I was in when I was watching the first two episodes, but I was just like, I can't watch people watching screens. You That's know? fair. Like, um, yeah. But it's still fun. Like, you still get to see everybody's personality. I think my favorite is probably... That influencer girl, the half Mexican, half Filipina. Savannah. Savannah. So pretty. So pretty. So nice. She seems really nice. Um, so I like her. How about you? Who's your favorite? Well, I'm really tickled, I guess, by um, well, many, including you, have pointed out is a cousin Greg lookalike. Oh my god, they're <laughs> exactly the same. Yeah, the 20 year old. I think he he's a U Chicago student. His name is Jack, but he is catfishing as an a pretty sorority girl named emily mm-hmm. um yeah his appearance definitely is very cousin greg like and then like the way that i don't know he i guess it's kind of like typical smart college dude but he just like does not give a shit <laughs> he's like here to win he's not really his like role playing as a girl could use a little bit more work sometimes i think he doesn't oh, exactly yeah. know how girls interact with each other yeah um but he's like i'm finding him pretty funny so far just like the the comments he's making and his like overall approach to this yeah um yeah he's he's definitely an entertaining watch for sure yeah and then i also am i like savannah too and i'm also a fan of courtney i guess he you could call him i think he's a podcast host an entertainment show host or something like that too yeah yeah Um, he's really fun yeah, I think he might stand a good chance of getting pretty far in this oh, game. Oh, for real? I think so. He huh. seems like he has just the right balance of personality, like likability to make other people like him, but yeah. also a certain amount of like pragmatism, like in how he would operate. So he's one I would keep an eye on for the future. But yeah, and then I have another question, which is if you were on the show, how would you play this? What would be your approach? I'd probably be myself. I fucking hate catfishing. 
that I say that like I've done it before and it's like hasn't worked out. I've never catfished in my life. Like I don't know what I would do. I don't know how to talk. I guess I I could figure out like I write dialogue about plenty of people. I know how people talk, but I think I'm not one for strategy. I'm too lazy for it. I would just do I would just be myself. What about you? So you would try to be authentically you and just like play it straight? Yes. Wow. Yes. All right. Yes. It's just it's simpler that way. Yeah. What about you? <laughs> um, I think I would also probably play myself. I would do the thing, I think, where I like basically try to fade a little bit into the background or like get yeah. sort of like the mid lead ranking to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. But then prove the the longevity. And I guess I don't know, the the only strategy you can really have is like basically getting people to like you and forming alliances and stuff. So Yeah. Yeah, I would I guess I would try to chat people up and get them to like me. Um, Sweet. <laughs> I, I will watch the rest of the episodes. Um, do you have someone that you want to win at the end of it? Like, do you have an idea of who's going to win? Well, I, I mentioned I think Courtney could be strong. I kind mm-hmm. of like him. I kind of wouldn't mind if he won. Yeah. Um, what about you? I, I think I feel the same way. Because I think he's set up for becoming, you know, like we talked about, someone that could take that and then flip it into something more. Like yeah. he's got the chops for it. He's got the personality chops for it. Oh, and like for the, sure. The professional, the professional trajectory works better for him than it does for anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. We'll keep an eye out. And- we will see. Please, <laughs> uh, please stay tuned on our social medias uh, when the when the results are announced, and then we can <laughs> we can go from there. So what about you, Helen? What kind of world were you watching on TV this week? So this week I watched Warrior. You can find it on HBO Max. It's actually a a Cinemax series that was put onto the HBO Max streaming service. Um, so it's based on an original concept, It's which was an eight-page treatment written by the legendary Bruce Lee. He actually wrote it imagining that he would be the protagonist for this. Oh. Uh, but it never got greenlit because, you know, racism. Um <laughs> So Warrior is a martial arts western. It's set in San Francisco in 1878. The reason why this show is, is obviously we're watching it now instead of it being canned years ago is thanks to Shannon Lee, Bruce Lee's daughter. She serves as the executive producer along with Justin Lin, uh, the director for Better Luck Tomorrow, iconic film. He is also the director for basically half of all Fast and Furious films. Tokyo Drift being my personal favorite. Come at me, bro. <laughs> the show follows our protagonist, Asam. He he is a very gifted martial artist who is played by Andrew Koji. He we follow him from you know the first episode onwards. He disembarks from a ship from China. And he's basically thrown headfirst into the Tong Wars. So if you don't know what the Tong is, they do explain it in the show. But Tongs are gangs, basically. And there are two gangs in uh, in San Francisco Chinatown. And um, we just kind of follow him as he navigates that space. He, he ends up joining one of them. Uh, he's looking for his sister. And we just get into the nitty gritty of gang warfare um in 1870s chinatown it's actually really fun so if you you know if you're a peaky blinders fan if you liked boardwalk empire this is extremely for you because it follows like the story plots of several characters as they intersect in this particular location in this particular time so you started watching it very recently jenny how do you feel about it yeah i'm only i've only watched the first three episodes um all last night (laughs) but (laughs) i'm i'm liking it a lot i find 
this genre or this like setting really interesting because I think there, yeah, there's a lot of potential in the kind of like Chinese immigrants, Western sort of saga since, since like Mm -hmm. literally like we all know that Chinese immigrants built the railroads. They were in San Francisco, which was kind of heralded um, among, you know, people in China as like a, a sort of like golden land of promise. Um, Mm -hmm. But obviously they came here and they face so much shit and discrimination and hatred and people like, you know, wanting to send them back home, people wanting them rounded up and, and killed and everything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really like that this particular setting is getting highlighted, this context, this forgotten or not forgotten, but like under surfaced history that a lot of people don't really pay much attention to outside of like one line in their history books yeah the reason why i wanted to talk about it this week i actually finished this a while ago uh there were two seasons on on hbo max available i watched it and the time that i watched it it was not coming back like the show had been canned right and the reason why i wanted to talk about this week is because we got news that hbo max has acquired it from cinemax and has greenlit a third season which made you know me included a lot of people happy Mm. um What's interesting about Warrior being picked up again, it is basically in the middle of a bunch of TV business decisions. So to give a little bit of context, you know, HBO Max, I think a lot of people were confused when it first launched because there was HBO on Amazon, there was HBO Go, and then suddenly HBO Max. I think now most people are pretty clear. HBO Max is basically everything that was already on HBO, and then they acquired a bunch of shows from other networks. And then acquired all the shows from their sister companies like Cinemax. So Cinemax is owned by HBO Max, which is owned by Warner Media. Just mm. to, you know, just to kind of give you that family tree. And um, when uh, you know, a couple years back, uh, they did basically decided that they weren't going to do any more Cinemax shows because they just wanted to focus on HBO Max original programming. And there was just like this weird, I guess, culture fit once everybody kind of folded into one because Cinemax used to be, I did not know this, I didn't grow up in America, but Cinemax used to be like late night erotica <laughs> TV. Oh, I didn't and, know that either. <laughs> yeah. So, and um, apparently they used to call it Skinamax. So, you know, ah. that tells you everything that you, that you need to know. <laughs> um, but then they tried to kind of pivot around, you know, around 20, like 2012. They tried to pivot it more to a little bit of, you know, some sense of sophistication, but still a bit of pulp, basically. So they, that launched shows like Banshee, um, a bunch of other stuff. And it was still, there was still a weird fit to it culturally. So then I guess they didn't really know what to do. So anyway, when that, you know, when HBO Max became the focus, Cinemax was sidelined along with all of its shows. Loads of people were disappointed about Warrior because and we'll talk about it in a second there's a lot there's a lot about this show that's very special what was interesting about the news this week i read an interview with shannon lee actually once they put warrior on hbo max they found the guys at hbo found out that like loads of people were watching it so the ratings i guess ratings whatever the streaming numbers were really high and i think probably you know the news with the recent attacks the way that representation is formed the way that history is so important to the context of asian americans i guess it all kind of like snowballed into this being picked up by hbo themselves so cinemax is still not going to be producing it they're still kind of you know that's still dormant uh but hbo max has acquired this and now we're going to get a third season which is really exciting i think Mm. it's um you know it's a big budget show 
Like, it's expensive. You can see from the way that it looks, the way that it's shot, the amount of work that's put into this, you can tell it's, you know, they're working with a lot of money. <laughs> so it's nice to see that they have invested this into it just because, you know, we talk about timely TV and how annoying it is, but this really is a show <laughs> that I think yeah. not just Asian Americans should watch, but just basically anyone that cares anything about American history in general. Um, what I, I guess like when I first in, told you about this um, and I said that I liked it, I did give it a couple of caveats of just like, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit himbo-ish because, you know, you've got, <laughs> it's executive produced by Justin Lin who has produced a lot of Fast and Furious movies. And listen, I'm a fast head. Like, don't, don't play with me. I fucking love that franchise. It's my favorite franchise. However, I do know that it's a little bit silly with the dialogue. It's a little bit silly with the machoism. However, it is still it still gets into it in a way that a lot of a lot of TV shows don't. So, how did you feel about it? Just kind of the way that they were approaching, because it does kind of get you right away, right? Yeah, it really puts you right in the middle of the action from you know basically like the the first episode, the very beginning of the first episode. You know, it opens with these white. Um, I guess like immigration officer officials, like whatever, sort of like herding in the Chinese immigrants off the boats while, you know, deriding them, mocking them, like bullying people, like for no reason except for, you know, power dynamics. Uh, they get off on it while, you know, Irish Americans like protest from the side telling them like, you know, go back where you came from, chinks, like don't come here to steal our jobs. So it really like puts you right in it and, yeah, it felt really, really resonant, I guess, in this time period. Like, in all time periods, honest, like, this is has never really, like, I guess this history has always been here. It's never really gone away as much as, like, I guess, like, the, the model minority myth and stuff is sort of, like, painted over it in some ways. Like, the and the waves of immigration of kind of, like, more, you know, wealthier immigrants from Asian countries. But, yeah, this is, like a lot of the history of Chinese Americans and, and Asian Americans in this country. And it felt, I don't know, it felt really timely, like you said, and really depressing in that sense. But also, uh, I think it's important to to have this sort of stuff on popular or mainstream TV because yeah, uh, yeah. like we're not really getting it from history books is like part of a public education system yeah. in the US. Like yeah. it's not really prominent or present elsewhere and you know pop culture or anything like that so yeah although this is definitely like you know the the gang violence is a big part of it sort of like you know assassinations by like knife at night and like visiting brothels and stuff they're all like part of it it's not like a it's definitely kind of like a gritty and like sex filled and like graphic uh violence filled show so it's like definitely like played up for TV. <laughs> like this is still TV at the end of the day, but it does that maybe at least can provide a little bit of a picture of like this sort of resentment and just like hostility that yeah. was just like like everywhere in the air at like a, a period like this and, and elsewhere in history. Yeah. It doesn't like it basically all the things that still resonate to this day with regards to the role that capitalism plays for immigration waves in America and the role that like language and fitting in plays. Like Alsam, he speaks fluent English, unlike American English, which which makes him different than basically everybody else in mm -hmm. Chinatown that he interacts with. 
And that is explained by him having a white American grandfather that spoke to them in English. But like he conceals that fact yeah. um, from other from either other Chinese people in Chinatown or also from the white Americans. And that is c- kind of considered his i guess in some sense his secret weapon along with his ability to fight Mm -hmm. which is interesting i I think like language now is still so loaded with regards to how people perceive immigrants in terms of like you know the way that the irish immigrants and the way that the way that they receive the chinese immigrants you know that fight for capitalism is really interesting when they really get into that because you know we we see the unions on the irish american side we see how they perceive labor costs and we see just their irritation and their anger about it and it's i mean listen racism is obviously the hugest distraction from class war um but it's so intertwined in this world and that is a complete and utter historical accurate fact that still exists to this day so i think in that sense like it is some like you said it's important for us to see this not everyone is going to find out about this even if they go looking for academic books and at the same time, you can't expect people to just go read a bunch of fucking essays on JSTOR to find about these things, you know? Yeah. So it's really cool for them to show that in... It's simple, but it's also like it. the nuance is presented to you pretty accurately. Yeah, there, there's something about like the having it on screen in like such a visceral way that I think also makes an impact. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just like... Jeez, I hope this show doesn't make me like anti-Irish American because um, <laughs> I was like feeling it a little bit <laughs> during yeah, some of yeah. Yeah, you know yeah. some of these scenes where like we have people like bashing in Chinese people with like bashing their heads in with hammers and stuff yeah. like that. But it was really like <laughs> I was like thinking like I mean it's like the same all the way through where it's like you know the you have these groups way at the bottom of the totem pole totem pole the the pecking order and they. Are, like so busy scrapping with themselves or same mm-hmm. with like the gangs scrapping with themselves and it's just like man in an ideal future like please everyone like come together and direct your attention upwards um yeah. but yeah this is just like this is yeah. how it's always been and it how it continues to be right now you know yeah everyone is like really looking out for their own people which yeah in a time of survival that urge that instinct that makes sense um but mm-hmm. also like hopefully there can be some long-term um you know still like changes move towards like coalition building and stuff like that yeah like the the, the chess gameplay of it all it like it, it's really cool like the the fact that the police are completely corrupt the fact that the politicians are using everybody as pawns including yeah. the irish americans like there are no yeah. sides in this uh it's literally just win but yeah i really um i think the thing that i didn't realize i had missed um, I'm a huge fan of a good fucking fight sequence, dude. I know that this is, uh, maybe this is my buy coming out, but like, I really love a good fight sequence in any given film. Just, you know, the first time I watched The Raid, uh, changed my entire life, you know? Um, so I re- I'm really, really enjoying the fight sequences. I think, you know, we talk about the, the downtrodden nature of, of, uh, immigration look like in America, but the way that this show presents most of its characters to, be completely okay with violence as a form of response and for them to be completely sexual and complicated and multifaceted characters it is also I, i'm obsessed with it i think it's doing more than a lot of prestige tv has done which is a little bit more, more embarrassing for prestige tv because this isn't you know when it comes to the dialogue it's not the best written show and no. you can kind of see the story beats just a couple of steps ahead of where it's about to go which is also annoying um 
but you know the way that the characters are presented and the representation and the and the diversity not of you know just of the races but of the personalities within it are amazing um but yeah the, the fight sequences dude yeah the way that it mixes up like different fighting styles according to who is the one fighting so you know with the irish americans it's very brutish uh just fists um and boxing matches like in the in the back of the pub and then you've got the more swift precision of like judo taekwondo wing chun like from you know from the gangs uh from from the tongs so it's really cool and you know shout out to the stunt and fight coordinator brett chan uh shout out to basically most of the actors have a background in martial arts i think that kind of like worked in their favor yeah so andrew koji who plays um awesome he has a background in martial arts and there's like a, a there's like a bunch of people that you might recognize from the raid um, that that's in the show as well. It's oh. just really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was really cool. Like like from the very first scene where like Assam kind of shows off the skills that he has, you could really see the the Bruce Lee sort of influence. Oh yeah, um, even the way yeah. he moves. Yes, which again like that has a lot to do with like the the fighting style Wing Chun, but it's mm-hmm. yeah the way he moves, the way he carries himself. Um, there's so much just like there there's so much echoes of Bruce Lee. So that yeah. was cool to see brought on screen. Yeah, um, yeah. You yeah. think of I mean, like what could have happened with Bruce Lee in that role. Yeah, totally. Uh, but the camera tricks that they use, like there's one actually really cool thing that they do with language that I've never been seen done before. I mean, someone correct me. I personally have never seen this done before, but most of the, the Chinese characters in the show speak Cantonese because of that, which is completely historically accurate. Most of the waves did speak Cantonese uh, back then. And what's cool is that, <laughs> I mean, uh, they found fantastic actors, don't get me wrong, but not all of them, I don't think not all of them know how to speak Cantonese fluently. No. Um, and, you know, a lot of them are Asian American, British, Asian British as well. Um, so, one thing that they figured out how to do is they will start off speaking Cantonese and then the camera will do a 360 flip around the back of the heads and then the, lang- will, the language will change to English. So we, we, it goes from subtitles into them speaking English. And it sounds fluent to our ears because they are technically speaking fluent Cantonese like that's what's denoted to us so it's really it's really it's a really interesting trick what did you think about that because when it first happened I was like what the fuck is going on <laughs> like I, at first I was just like wait should I be offended at this is this bad but then I was like oh no this is actually this is actually really smart yeah I thought it was a neat little trick too I mean it made sense it, it makes sense completely for a show that is you know now on HBO Max streaming tour to mostly English-speaking audiences presumably a lot of American audiences yeah, it's a way of kind of like with one flip of the camera, you make it clear that you're now inside the world of inside the world of Chinatown, inside the world yeah. of like these Chinese and Cantonese immigrants yeah. talking to each other. I think it for the show and for its purpose for the audience, I think it definitely works. And it is something that I haven't really seen before either. Yeah. So I think it's a neat little hat trick to sort of get around the problem of like, how do we have both like Cantonese in here as well as like English so that people can actually understand it without reading subtitles? Yeah. Um, this is a sort of neat way around that that is like visually yeah. signified each time that I thought was clever. Yeah. Like I'm sure it started off because they just couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't, um, have all of their actors learn Cantonese and learn it fluently. I think it definitely started <laughs> off. That was a starting point. But what has ended up happening is that not everyone speaks Cantonese. Not everyone understands the, like, the linguistic styles within Cantonese. Like, 
like for Turkish, for example, you know if someone's a bit of a gangster or someone isn't well educated or someone that is, you know, I don't know, comes from a certain certain area or speaks a certain way, like the swear words are different in Turkish. Like if I was to turn around and translate a swear word to you <laughs> in English, it's like the grossest fucking thing. But in Turkish, like people use these swear words all the time. So it just in in to to kind of like get around that lost in translation of the way that these people are, the way that their personalities are through their language, they've just kind of translated it into English. Because what's cool is that they then, you know, you hear them speaking english and how the white people receive their english um and it's accented like their english is accented so it's interesting it's really um i don't know it's like it's like a pretty neat trick anyway um who's your favorite character i think from just the first three episodes i like the who's the lady the the madam who owns the the brothel Oh, um, Artoy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's played oh, by yeah. Olivia Chang. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah. she's my favorite too, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was like looking at the Wikipedia article and Artoy is a, based on like a real figure from that time, a real person from that time. That's amazing. Really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, she's, <laughs> I guess like, she's hot. She yeah. is deadly. She's smart. Yes. She, I guess, runs her own business is mm-hmm. the way to put it in like. Yeah, a, yeah tactful terms yeah she seems like a sort of complicated uh powerful female character she's also bisexual which you'll find out in season two love that for her really really tracks but yeah i i love her for the same reasons i think it's not so much like the business owner thing but she is she's looking out for herself which is very very important What's interesting is that I think, not to bring the historical context back into this, but the Page Act had been enacted by the time that we rolled around to this, which, if you don't know what that is, it's basically the exclusion of all Chinese women uh, immigrating into America. And that, you know, led the way for whoever could come in. They think that basically um, a lot of the women that came through ended up uh, working in brothels and she, Artoi, she owns a brothel. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting seeing her grapple with that, especially in season two. Um, there's an introduction of a character that really kind of, um, shakes up her worldview of what it means to be a a brothel owner. So that's really interesting. Um, I actually, I also like, um, I also like Wang Chao, who's played by Hoon Lee. He's kind of like, yeah, me too. Yeah, he's like, you know, he's like the little finger of the group. If you're, you know, if you watch Game of Thrones, he's like Mm -hmm. the Baelish character. So, Gotta love that guy. You know, gotta love that character of just someone that is in the thick of it, but completely hands washed of um, everybody's drama. Um, yeah. yeah. I was wondering if that, like, comes back to ever, like, backfires on him, yeah. like it does with Littlefinger. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll watch out for that. Was there anything that you didn't like about it, aside from, you know, the himbo dialogue and the, the plot being a little bit predictable? You know, I ha- I'm, like, squeamish about blood and some stuff. Oh, so, I yeah. Mean, <laughs> there are some, there are some beheadings, there are some, yeah. there's, there's some, like, disemboweling, there, there's, like, quite a bit of, like, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's very pulpy. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that's, I mean, that's totally fine. Um, That's... Ex- I mean, like it for what it is. Like, yeah, of course, there's that stuff. Yeah. Um. The other thing is, like, there are a lot of white characters, and there's like a yeah. lot of focus, also, like almost equally, basically, as much on the the white characters and like yeah. the Irishmen, the politicians, the businessmen. Um. Yeah. So it's. I guess I'll see what happens there, but it's just mm-hmm. an observation so far because I, for a while, I had a hard time like distinguishing between like some of these these white guys. To be honest. Yeah. I agree. I think there's uh there's something that happens in season one that really annoyed me where I was just like, it's gonna fucking piss me off 
if this protagonist ends up getting with a white girl. And guess what? He gets Does with a white girl. Yes. Okay. Because so, uh, there's just that scene at the end of episode three where they like almost get a little close. Um, yeah. After he like follows her, goes to her house or whatever. Yeah. Oh, okay. That, so I guess that will happen. It's annoying, you know, and like so much of that has to do with, I guess, this. You know, th- this show is very conscious of Asian male masculinity, I think, mm. and it showcases the, you know, it-, it tries to go against that by having a lot of the male characters be overtly sexual, overtly violent. But, <laughs> you know, the one of the, that's, that's a problem in and of itself, you know, masculinity in general and the way that it's perceived and the way that a lot of men of color kind of respond to respond that. to it and like will will compare notes with their white male peers so yeah. it's interesting um throwing in a white girl into that mix mm. but um i will say keep going luckily that doesn't develop into i mean at this point it doesn't develop into anything more than just fucking which is i appreciate <laughs> that um but i don't know we'll see it could be one of those things that's like they're on and they're off again um yeah i when just kind of see when is the third season coming out i don't Do, so that's the thing else? yeah like i you know i'm i put this on the docket for the podcast this week because it was in the news and i just really want everybody to watch those first two seasons so that they're prepared for season three when it's out and we can all watch it together and it'll be fantastic <laughs> anyway so i it just got greenlit and this is like it's a big budget oh, show okay, yeah it's a you know it's a really big budget show so i think i don't foresee it being out until 2022 Mm. at the earliest i would say that makes sense so we'll see um i'm really excited for everybody to get more famous i think andrew koji is he deserves to be in that kind of narrative of excellent actors like multi-talented can do basically anything you ask of him physically beautiful (laughs) and also just would be everybody's crush if everybody knew more about him basically um yeah i I believe that (laughs) yeah so please watch this show it's such a fun time it's like something for basically everybody to watch i think it's very like male friendly and also you know if you are much like me you like to watch hot people fuck and also fight and then also a little bit of politics sprinkled on top warrior is extremely the show for you This week we are not doing culture notes necessarily. We're actually going to do a brief reflection on more or less six months of this podcast. Yay! We did it. We did it. We made it to the half year mark, and 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 all, and we're still alive and doing okay relatively for everything that has happened in the past year. Yeah, Pellin. So, what? Tell me, like, what are some of the best things that we watched in the past six months for the show that you would like highlight as let's say your top three from you know this entire run so far so we obviously because we both have excellent taste (laughs) basically almost everything that we have watched on this podcast (laughs) we would recommend but i understand that we can't just keep (laughs) re-recommending over and over again so i'm actually going to go on tv only i've given i've set myself some restrictions Mm -hmm. um i am going on tv only recommendations and i'm i'm going on positive vibes only recommendations so okay yeah so the reason why i'm picking these three is because you know this last six months uh and the six months before that and the six months before that jesus um have been (laughs) fucking traumatic and even though I do love, listen, I'm European. I fucking love, you know, unhappy endings. I love really dark, gray tone shit. But the thing that has actually gotten me through has been the things that really put me in an excellent mood. So 
uh, this, my top three have been Ted Lasso, Lupin, and Call My Agent. These mm. three shows have put me in the best mood. And, you know, that is a little bit of a feat, I've got to say, considering how depressed and anxious I've been. Uh, and how much of that is now baked into my very being right now. And I don't know if I'll ever leave. Anyway, so it's um, <laughs> those three have really, really, uh, really gotten me through. What about you, Jenny? What have been your top three? Um, my top three. And I just want to know, it is funny that all top of, all of your top three, like none of them are set in America, which yes. tracks yes. Um, very much <laughs> in this theme of like good watches, good feels. Um, mine... Okay, you already named, I would say those like are among my top as well. But mm-hmm. you know, for the sake of picking top three, and I'm gonna include a movie as well. Mm. These are just ones that I just I really liked. I really remember. Maybe they didn't make me feel happy all the time. But they at least made me feel something and remember them. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say like, call my agent. Same mm-hmm. is like one of yours. That's truly been one of the best comfort shows, I yes. think. And I'm so glad it was just announced. It got renewed for a fifth season. I know! Which is crazy. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, streaming. I assume a lot of it had to do with, like, streaming and, like, just, like, fan demand or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I would say also Nomadland as the movie mm. really, really still still sticks with me. Yeah. Um, And then a show that you introduced me to, which was, like, totally off the the radar for basically everyone uh tokyo girl yeah which is on amazon prime fucking love tokyo girl man yeah loved it i really wish well i had i mean way back before this whole year started i basically had like for half a year been planning a trip to japan with my mom um and of course that got canceled so um i've been to japan before but i would love to go with my mom and like take her to see the cherry blossoms so yeah here's to hoping for for next year <laughs> yeah um and, and in the meantime all the in the meantime yeah. like more shows where the city is the character more shows about yes, complicated please. female characters love that love that for just i would love more of that on my screen yeah so these are, I guess, our top six or top five, I guess, since we overlapped on Call My Agent. <laughs> These are some of our top five out of a slate of really good shows and, and yeah. films in this past half year. Um, I also want to take the time to highlight one viewer comment, um, or I guess listener comment to, mm-hmm. for us. Um, so we had a listener named Char. They, they, they tweeted, Criticism is dead. Makes me want to take a week off just to watch all the wrecks. It's going to happen. Trust. So Aww. there you go. That is a ringing endorsement. Oh, thank and you, Shaw. Yeah, I think Aww. everyone should. Yeah, just maybe the next time you have a staycation, zoom through some of our picks and see see what you like and let us know. Yeah, would love to hear more from our from our uh, listeners always. Uh, yeah, but only, but only positive things because we're both. <laughs> We're both really sensitive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, like seriously, thank you everyone who has been listening so far and commenting and interacting with us, um, sending us recommendations. Yeah. It's been really, really nice. And I'm glad that we have this little show. And I'm very glad that you are the one I'm doing it with, Pellin. Oh, I'm so... <laughs> don't make me cry now, man. <laughs> it's not sentiment time, but it's not not sentiment time yeah no it has been listen you're the best podcast host that i could ever ask for you're an incredible friend love you so much babes Uh, (laughs) i'm so excited for the next six months and then you know if we end up you know becoming too famous to do this um then that's all good news but um (laughs) i i would love to 
you know this this doing this every week has been the thing that has kept me sane uh, yeah. during the pandemic so i really appreciate it yeah much yeah. love um if any of you have things that you'd like to see from us like i don't know constructive feedback or like things that you think it could be fun to try out maybe maybe we should start like a, a facebook group or like a <gasps> discord server or like a slack or something yeah maybe we'll think of like doing patreon stuff i don't really know we really haven't talked about any of this stuff but if there's anything at all that you think could be interesting for us to try out or that you'd like to see more from us as like i don't know a show and a quote-unquote community or like a I don't know, some vague collective of people who have good taste. Yes. Um, yeah, I guess let us know. You can email us, we're at criticismisdead at gmail.com. You can DM us or add us on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, like, as usual, if you have any recommendations, send them our way. But yeah, otherwise, I guess subscribe to our newsletter, criticismisdead.subsec.com and listen to us listen to our episodes Please hit play yeah yeah rate review five stars only thank you very much thank you so much yeah i guess i guess that's it pellin uh, yeah. feel free to to add anything else here <laughs> that's it thank you again for listening to us for the last six months uh we will only get better as we have extremely found out <laughs> in the last six months <laughs> that it was a very shaky start curve. yeah it was a very very shaky start and we're just you know we're finding it with the feet we're finding it um but yeah thank you so much everybody and um we'll see you guys next week bye bye criticism instead is produced by pelin keskin lu and jenny jishan our music is by rika our artwork and design are by sarah macias and andrew luke 